All right, a quick message from Future Joy. I am officially on iTunes, so if you really don't mind sparing a minute to go rate and review me on there, that would be fantastic. It would help me a lot, and I'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, That's the only update from Future Me. I hope you enjoy the show. is the joy of horror podcast and i'm your gourd gal of the hour joy welcome to episode two and thank you so much for being here i just wanted you to know that i love you in the most platonic way possible at the time <laughs> at the time of this recording it's less than a week until the premiere of my very first episode and i am very very nervous Heck, even when the second episode comes out, I'm going to be nervous. I'm just generally a very anxious person. But since I'm still very much fresh in the field, I'm sure it's just some supportive friends listening, so hopefully that helps a bit? I don't know, but hey guys! So today we're going to be discussing the Wendigo. An extreme overview is that it's a cannibalistic monster that lurks in forests and is never full no matter how much prey it consumes. Wendigos, I have to say, are probably one of my top five mythological beasts of all time. So, I really hope I do them justice today. Before we jump in, I do want to apologize ahead of time for any mispronunciations. I promise, I looked up every single word I was not positive on, and I gave it my best shot. With that being said, and my cat napping behind me, let's dig on in. So, the Wendigo is an Algonquian Native American legend. The Algonquian people are one of the largest and most widespread of the Native American groups. They mostly inhabited the northern forests of Nova Scotia, the Atlantic coast, and the Great Lakes region of Canada. According to legend, this is the main stomping ground for our beasts of the day. The Wendigo does transcend into other native tribes, though, such as the Iroquois. It just tends to change in variation between tribes. So, you just heard the main stomping grounds of this creature a second ago, right? Glad to not have to worry about running into the beast in your neck of the woods of North America? (laughs) Well, sorry, but... But besides where the Algonquian called home, there are alleged stories from Native Americans, hitchhikers, trackers, traders, and people living in or near wooded areas all across the U.S. and Canada. Though one of the main string of sightings from one area I could find was in a city named Rizzo in northern Minnesota. Between the late 1800s and the 1920s, it's said there was a Wendigo that would appear near the town on numerous occasions. And each time, it's claimed, an unexpected death would follow. Not trying to dampen the mood so close to the beginning, despite just mentioning a string of deaths, but when it comes to this creature, there are anthropologists that believe the concept of the Wendigo didn't appear in Native American culture until after settlers arrived. They believe the cruel and horrific treatment that the invaders caused made the creature come into being, even if it was just a metaphor. Which is pretty messed up, 
And we're not even going to start on how messed up America's history is when it comes to the native people. That's a horror topic for another podcast. So, what's in a name? Well, with the Wendigo creature, the rough translation of the name is the evil that devours mankind. And according to one source, another meaning for the word made by a German explorer dude in the 1860s equates the word Wendigo to cannibal as a translation. The word Wendigo can also be used as symbolism for greed, selfishness, violence, gluttony, and the image of excess. While there are two main ways to spell Wendigo, one of which I used for this episode, there are actually many different versions depending on the region and the dialect. Before we go any further, we're going to cover the description of the Wendigo itself, which I probably should have covered near the beginning, but I'm still learning podcast structure. Yay. So, most of you that have heard of this creature before probably envision a tall, furry beast with deer antlers and possibly a deer skull in place of a head. Even though this is the version I love aesthetically, it's sadly not how these creatures were seen in original folklore. That description originated from Larry Fessenden, which, remember that name. According to one source, a teacher told him a Wendigo-like tale about a deer monster. He combined this with the Wendigo tale from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and then later with the classic Wendigo story by Algernon Blackwood, which, remember that name too. So how were they originally described, I hear you ask? Well, this might be a hair confusing, but the description of the Wendigo does vary by tribe, area, and the individual telling the tale. For example, the eyes are noted to either be glowing, large and owl-like, or pushed back deep into the sockets. Though across the board, it seems to be agreed that the creature is emaciated to the point where its skin looks like it's being pulled taut across the bones. The skin itself tends to be yellow or a gray ashy tone while being covered in fur or slowly decaying. It's said that they have the smell of decomposition or an eerie odor about them at all times. Which, since eerie odor can vary per person, I'm kind of picturing a sweaty dirt smell. If you have no clue what I'm talking about, lucky you. Other features can include large, sharp claws, an elongated tongue, and missing lips and or toes. According to the Ojibwe, Cree, Naskapi, and Inu lore, Wendigos are huge. Usually a few times larger than the average person, sometimes topping out at 15 feet or 4.6 meters tall in description. You're more than just your body, right? Well, it's no different for the Wendigo. Some other varying traits are superhuman strength and a plethora of stamina that allows them to continually stalk and overpower their prey. Extraordinary sight, hearing, and smell also tends to assist the Wendigo in their hunt. There's also the belief that some of these creatures can walk across deep snow or even water without sinking. So basically think Monster Jesus. There is one version I found that says the Wendigo is so thin that you can only see them when you're facing them head on. From the sides, you can't see them at all, which makes them great at hiding behind trees, which reminds me of another creature we're going to discuss in a future episode. 
You may be asking, well, can I outrun this thing? And the answer is maybe. Depends on which legend is true. There's varying accounts, but some say the beast is abnormally fast, while others say they are slow and walk kind of in a haggard kind of way, like they're about to fall apart. If the second is true, the last potential trait I'm going to mention would come madly in handy. One of the powers the Wendigo is said to possess is to mimic voices. Could be a friend, loved one, child, or even other animals. They'll do whatever it takes to lure you from the safety of your town, home, or group. Once you've gone to investigate, they attack and devour the prey to try and sate their insatiable hunger which I'm now picturing a stereotypical Karen and a poor retail worker for some reason. Another drawing prompt for you guys, if you're interested. If you're a fan of the game Until Dawn and like their Wendigo, then you'll probably be glad to know that it's probably the closest representation of the creature from original folklore and pop culture today, which I still remember losing my mind when they began teasing the Wendigo in the game. I watched a friend play and I was practically vibrating on the couch. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, they're cannibals, can probably take me down. But how do they become Wendigos? I'm glad you asked, imaginary audience member. There's a few ways, according to legend, a person can become a Wendigo. The main one being that a person resorts to cannibalism, usually in a harsh winter, and is then possessed or consumed by evil spirits and becomes a Wendigo, even if the act was for pure survival. Pure and simple possession is also said to be another way to become the creature. Once they've fully infiltrated the human's mind, it's said they can turn them into a Wendigo at will. One origin story for the creature was that a god's daughter transformed herself into a coyote and then the spicy with a glacier, which resulted in a demon. The demon ended up assaulting and impregnating her. The Wendigo was the product of the assault. The Wendigo taught all his siblings to consume everything in the land so their enemies would die of hunger. Since he was such a destructive, greedy a-hole, the great spirit said, nah and cursed the creature into external exile and hunger, which would make the Wendigo, while purely evil, a divine being. Another tale I found said the first Wendigo was a warrior who made a deal with the devil in order to save his tribe. He gave up his soul and was transformed. He battled and defended his village until peace fell. Once there was no need for such a fearsome and powerful creature as himself, his people were like, okay, this is awkward, but we're kind of banishing you since you creep us out and we're a bit freaked out. Which, come which come on, he just protected all of y'all and now you're like, nah, we're good. What a bit move. Okay, so last tale, though it's a sad one, so buckle up. One night, a baby escaped his cradle and wandered off. The baby's parents woke and found them missing. In fear of the child dying of exposure or being eaten by wild animals, they followed their child's tracks. They discovered the baby has turned into a wendigo and wishes to devour their village, which, I know, it seems like a that-escalated-quickly moment. But either way, the villagers kill and hack apart the wendigo only to discover the baby nestled inside. 
The transformation of the child to Wendigo is never explained, but I believe it might be due to the baby's vulnerability and maybe evil spirits that can penetrate your mind as an adult to make you Wendigo would have an easier time with a mind that is not fully yet developed. But since I could only find one telling of the story, this is of course just a major theory. Now, you may be saying, great joy, that's interesting, but how do we kill this thing? Can I survive? And I'd say, maybe. Depends, again, on what legend you go by. According to a lot of my readings, you can kill the Wendigo as you'd kill any human. Which means if you have a nailed bat handy or a few guns lying around, you might be alright. You know, if you can dodge them and their potentially long, sharp claws. Other legends say that the heart of the Wendigo has to be cut out and melted in a fire, while others say you have to have a shaman dispatch the creature with a spell or ceremony. Regardless of how you kill or take out a Wendigo, there are versions of the legend that there's still a person inside the Wendigo, quote, frozen where the heart should be, unquote. To kill the Wendigo, it's usually agreed that you'll end up killing the person as well. But supposedly, there are stories claiming to have saved the person, which I personally couldn't find a full telling of, so I don't have anything else to share on that topic. We're now going to shift into the, quote, real world and talk about a satirical ceremonial dance done among a few tribes such as the Cree, known as, and please, please bear with me, Witikoshimowen, which I'm sure I just butchered, but I could only find one place to listen to the pronunciation and it was so fast. Like I literally sat here and listened for several minutes on end just trying to get it down and my poor little mouth could not do it. There's a joke in there somewhere. Regardless of pronunciation, it means Wendigo-like dance. It was the dance usually done in times of famine to reinforce the taboo and seriousness that is the Wendigo. It was done with the dancers wearing masks and dancing backwards around a drum. The last known Wendigo ceremony conducted in the United States was at Lake Wendigo, which is a small lake on Star Island located within the Leech Lake Indian Reservation in northern Minnesota. I sadly couldn't find a year. This is probably one of the uncommon to rare times psychiatry or true crime is going to be covered on this podcast, but have you heard of Wendigo psychosis? Not too many have, I found out. It's described by psychiatrists as a cultural bound syndrome with symptoms such as intense craving for human flesh and fear of becoming a cannibal. Though some other initial symptoms could be poor appetite, nausea, and vomiting. In some indigenous communities, environmental destruction and insatiable greed are also seen as a manifestation of Wendigo psychosis. There are some psychologists that think it's a bunch of doohickey, but it's claimed in several cases, so I'll let you be the judge when we cover a few in a minute. In historical accounts of Wendigo psychosis, it's reported that after resorting to cannibalism after being in a situation where they needed food and lacked better options, a person is possessed by a Wendigo, as I spoke of earlier. In response to the psychosis in the past, usually traditional native healers would attempt to cure the inflicted. But if the person didn't start to get better or showed signs of potential harm or threat, they would be executed. 
there has been reports of this psychosis for hundreds of years. One example is in 1661, the Jesuit relations, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, reported, and it's a little long, but I quote, What caused this greater concern was the intelligence that met us upon entering the lake, namely, that the men deputed by our conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations to the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous where they were to await our coming had met their death this previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men, according to the report given to us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but very usual among the people we were seeking. They were afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imaginations and causes them more than canine hunger. This makes them ravenous for human flesh, and they pounce upon women, children, and even men like veritable werewolves and devour them ferociously, without being able to appease or glut their appetite, ever seeking fresh prey, and even greedily the more they ate. This ailment attacked our deputies, and as death is the sole remedy among the simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. End quote. Okay, now for a more in-depth true crime section. There's a few cases of being a Wendigo or having Wendigo psychosis that was brought into a court of law. We're going to discuss two major ones and one minor one I couldn't find much information on. Now, this isn't going to include the many disappearances that were blamed on the Wendigo in the Algonquian tribes during the turn of the 20th century, but that is a sad and interesting topic all on its own. First, one of the more famous cases of Wendigo psychosis reported involved a six-foot-three Plains Cree trapper from Alberta named Swiftrunner. During the winter of 1878, Swiftrunner and his family were starving, and his eldest son had died. They were only 25 miles away from emergency food supplies at the Hudson's Bay Company Post. Rather than travel to the post and get rations, Swiftrunner butchered and ate his wife and five remaining children instead. Given that he resorted to cannibalism so near to food supplies and that he killed and consumed the remaining of all those present, it was revealed that Swiftrunner was not a case of pure cannibalism as a last resort to avoid starvation, but rather a man with Wendigo psychosis. Authorities began hearing stories in the spring by a Cree chief that Swiftrunner had gone cannibalistic and murdered and eaten his entire family. The police initially couldn't find Swiftrunner or his family at all. In a funny turn of events, though, it said that Swiftrunner had actually gone to the police himself later that same spring to tell him that his wife had killed herself and his children had died of starvation. The police were, of course, suspicious of his story since he seemed pretty well fed. They traveled with him north to his camp and discovered human remains and skulls in the remnants of a fire. Human skulls were also scattered nearby. He eventually confessed and was hanged for his crimes on December 20th, 1879 at Fort Saskatchewan. It is said he remained calm even with the delays and hitches to get to his hanging. And in case you think he just suddenly went to madness, it appears he was a bit of a troublemaker before this whole incident occurred. It said, and I quote, he would turn the Cree camps into little hells, unquote. 
and was eventually pushed out of the community where he, his wife, brother, mother, and six children lived among the wilderness. I'll leave a link in the show notes if you wish to read more about him or his hanging because it's actually pretty interesting stuff. The second most famous case that took place at the beginning of the 20th century was by a man named Jack Fiddler. And like earlier in this episode, remember that name. There will be a quiz. He was an OG Cree chief and medicine man, which sometimes entailed him to kill those he believed to have Wendigo psychosis. He was usually asked by family members to kill a loved one before they turned into a Wendigo. Jack had claimed he had killed 14 Wendigos in his lifetime, one of them being his brother, Peter Flett, who was killed after potentially turning into a Wendigo when the food ran out on a trading expedition. In 1907, Fiddler, age 87 at the time, and his son Joseph were tried for the murder of a Cree woman. Whilst he pleaded guilty to the crime, he defended himself saying that the woman was on the verge of transforming into a Wendigo as she was being possessed by the evil spirit. Therefore, she had to be killed before she murdered other members of the tribe. Fiddler and his brother Joseph were arrested by the Canadian authorities for homicide. Jack completed suicide, but Joseph was tried and sentenced to life in prison. He ultimately was granted a pardon, but died three days later in jail before receiving news of the pardon. Okay, so the last case I could come across, though without much information, included Cree spiritual leader Abishabis, or Small Eyes. He was considered a prophet for a religion that was a mix of Christian and Cree beliefs. He ended up losing his influence and killed a native family, which led some to believe he was a Wendigo. He was imprisoned at Fort Severn, but on August 30th, 1843, three Cree dragged him out of confinement and killed him with an axe and burned his body. It's believed that some of the guards were actually in on this since it wasn't commonplace for Native Americans to break people out of their prisons. Woo! This is a lot, and thank you for sticking with me. The last topic we're going to cover with the Wendigo is pop culture. Probably one of the most fun things to research for this topic, if I'm being honest. I knew the Wendigo was part of pop culture, but not as much as I found. Apparently, the Wendigo has been in the stream since 1910 when author Algernon Blackwood's short story, The Wendigo, was published. It's claimed that this inspired future works with the creature, such as August Durlis' The Thing That Walked in the Wind, 1933, and then Ithaca, 1941, where Durlith gave the creature a more Lovecraftian name and is actually part of the Cthulhu mythos. If you go further down the line, it's said that this, in turn, inspired Stephen King's use of the Wendigo in Pet Cemetery and The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. A few other books that include the Wendigo or some form of the beast are Night of the Wendigo, Wendigo Road, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and The Curse of the Wendigo, which is actually the second of a saga called The Monstromologist, which I have actually personally read and if you're looking for an interesting read, I do recommend that series. Jumping to comics, the Wendigo first appeared in Marvel in the Incredible Hulk issue 162, fighting the Hulk and even Wolverine. Steve Englehart, one of the two creators of the comic, was quoted saying, quote, 
I knew about the legend of the Wendigo and thought, between his strength and his sad story, he sounded like a good Hulk opponent, end quote. Which, all I can say is... fair. A version also appears in The Amazing Spider-Man, issue number 277. For movies, there's Wendigo, Ravenous, Frostbiter, Wrath of the Wendigo, Pet Cemetery, the 2019 version, even if it was very briefly... And I just found out last night that the five cats that played church in this one were from shelters and they were all adopted by their trainers or friends. This made me really, really happy. Back to the movie list, though. The last one to really mention is Dark Was the Night, though I know there are a few others. Heck, since we're kind of on a topic, for TV shows, the Wendigo or a version of it has appeared on Supernatural, which is one of my favorite episodes, by the way. Blood Ties, Grim, Charmed, Teen Wolf, Sleepy Hollow, Fear Itself, and even frickin' Digimon, My Little Pony, and DuckTales. There was also an episode of Lost Tapes, Season 3, Episode 7, on Animal Planet called Wendigo, American Cannibal. The last part of pop culture to point out is, of course, games. A version of the Wendigo has been featured in Seeking Evil, the Wendigo, Fallout 76, Pathfinder, World of Warcraft, The Legend of Dragoon, and most famously, of course, Until Dawn. As mentioned before, the Until Dawn version is probably one of the most faithful adaptations of the original legend. I love this creature and thought the game did an amazing job. I won't go into how I was kind of actually disappointed by the characters, but that's not really what we're trying to cover today, is it? So, remember those names I asked you to remember earlier? So I lied, there's no pop quiz. But some fun facts about the game is that the stranger, also known as Flamethrower Guy, is named Jack Fiddler. And the game takes place on Blackwood Mountain. It's believed both names were inspired by the true crime of Jack Fiddler and the last name of the author, Algernon Blackwood. Also, also, Larry Festiden was an actor and one of the main writers of the game, and he wrote slash directed the movie Wendigo in 2001. Woo! I fear we are coming to a close, and I hope you enjoyed the ride and learned something today. If you wish to try seeking out the Wendigo for yourself, you can visit its native stomping grounds mentioned near the beginning of this episode, or maybe just visit the two lakes named for it in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Though, according to a lot of accounts, if you're in North America, maybe just head to the middle of the woods and wait. Okay, so for this week's movie recommendation, I'm going to suggest 2008's Splinter. It's probably one of my favorite creature features of all time, and I've watched it a few times over the years. It's about a couple, Polly and Seth, going off on a nature trip when they're carjacked and kidnapped by two crooks. Things take a turn for the even worse when a horde of parasites start taking over. It has some great body horror, and I think you will enjoy it if you give it a shot. Alright, so that's all for this episode. Until next time, drink some water if you haven't recently, and please tell someone you love them. I hope you have a spooky night, and I will see you next time.